Have you ever thought you might like to try a creative experiment in art quilt imagery? Well, that is the point of Inspired to Quilt, the first book by Melanie Testa. I have owned, loved, and poured through the pages of this book for years, and I even purchased a vintage potato masher at my local thrift shop, which I have used again and again to print on fabric. From creating quilts inspired by journals to exploring a series of art, my guest today will have you inspired to quilt. Hello and welcome to the Quilter on Fire podcast, where I explore the stories of teachers, speakers, artists, and everyday quilters to share their tips, tricks, adventures, and day-to-day life that will bring you more joy and less overwhelm in the quilting studio. I'm your host, Brandy Maslowski, also known as the Quilter on Fire, and I can't wait to share with you this week's episode. So here we go. Hello and welcome to episode 31 of the Quilter on Fire podcast. Melanie Testa is an art quilter and textile designer who paints, prints, and stitches on fabric. Melly's creations are colorful, imaginative, inspiring, and so innovative that they have been featured in Quilting Arts Magazine, the Studio Art Quilt Journal, On Quilting Arts TV, and so much more. Melanie graduated from the Fashion Institute of Technology in Textile Surface Design and has authored three books. The more recent and perhaps most important part of Melanie's story is the cancer advocacy journey of a breast cancer survivor. So without further ado, let's get into this wonderful story. Melly Testa, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks so much for having me. It's so nice to have you here. I have been admiring your processes, techniques, and books for years. So I want to go back to how your creative journey began. So how long have you been creating art and what got you started? I have been creating art for at least 30 years. And I knew, I guess when I was 17 or 18 years old, I took my first quilting class and we learned Rose of Sharon grandmother's flower garden and log cabin and I fell in love from the start as soon as I started pretty much I decided that I wanted to become a textile designer and it probably took me about 10 years to get myself into school the fashion institute of technology and I really haven't looked back since Oh, it must have been so fun to go to a higher education college for something that you're so passionate about. So over the 30 years, did you explore all different genres of quilting and art? Or has it always really just been fine art, like fiber art for you? I guess it started off being quilting, traditional quilting. And I fell in love with fabric. I had to buy a lot of fabric. (laughs) (laughs) And I started, I really liked the sewing part of it, the piecing part of it. So in that first class that I took, I really fell for the log cabin pattern. And I also fell in love with hand sewing at that same time. I went to a technology specifically for textile design. And I came out of it with a much broader understanding of the type of art I could make. After graduating, I took a, an associate degree After graduating, I really started unpacking and exploring everything that I had learned in college. And my artwork became much more fine art oriented. 
quilt art became my focus. So I started making pictures that appear like paintings, but are actually quilted objects. Three layers, traditional definition of what a quilt is, although art quilt oriented. So I guess for quite a few years, I was solely oriented in fine art quilting. And it's only just recently changed that I've gone back to a more traditional style of quilting. But it's always deeply art oriented. You know, like mm-hmm. I like to print my own fabric. Behind me, you can see some of my hand printed fabrics in Drunkard's Path blocks that I'm arranging and rearranging. So all of yeah. all of this fabric was hand printed by me. So just by looking at it, you wouldn't guess that. I mean, not very many people print their own fabric before making a quilt out of it. But I have to say that uh, just recently, within the last few years, printing my own fabric and making more traditional looking quilts has been a very exciting thing for me. Yeah, it sounds like just such a fun, creative process. And on your website, you call yourself an artist, an author, a teacher, an agent provocateur, and a firebrand. So let's yeah. let's unpack that a little bit. What is an agent provocateur? Well, <laughs> am I saying it right? I'm French, so. <laughs> you are saying it right, yes. I use those words because I so often think outside of the box. My approach my solution to problems is often off the cuff and unexpected. So yeah, pretty much <laughs> I am an agent provocateur. And um, it sounds innovative. You know, it sounds like you're wanting to invoke a response from the person who's looking at your work. That's what it sounds like to me. I most certainly do. And from my life as a whole. <laughs> you know, I just think outside of the box and I have a lot of, I don't know, faith in myself that if I make a leap, I can make it work. I got into Quilt National in 2007 and Repose is a nude, a female mm-hmm. person in Repose sitting yeah. and I, at that point, I was working whole cloth quilts in more of a fine art perspective. So what do you mean when you say firebrand? Like I'm a firefighter and I know in my world, firebrand is something that flies from a forest fire into a community and could land on a home. And we we talk about fire safety, but what do you mean when you're saying that you are a firebrand? I... I think that because I feel able and willing to make change, to be a public spokesperson either for my art or for breast cancer advocacy, as I do, that I am enabled. I think Mm -hmm. being a firebrand is feeling enabled to do a thing, feeling confident in self. And or at least willing to be vulnerable. So that's so good. And, you know, I really do believe that that's what you invoke in others as well. So now if you're listening right now and you want to peruse Melanie's website while you're listening to this podcast, go to www.melanietesta.com and I'll spell that M-E-L-A-N-I-E. 
T-E-S-T-A.com. So Melanie, your portfolio is gorgeous. It has quilts, mixed media, soy wax resist, and features two lines of fabric on your website. We'll get into the textile design after the break, but I want to talk for a minute about the nudes in much of your art. They are just gorgeous depictions of the human form. So what's the story behind your series called Repose? Repose was a piece that I made before 2007. And that was an interesting story. I was living in Connecticut at the time. And I had met an artist who was hosting a figure drawing event. And I got it in my mind that I wanted to bring my sewing machine and learn how to sew or draw with my machine. The person who was organizing the event was okay with it. You know, like I was a little shy because, you know, sewing machines are noise. People don't normally bring sewing machines to drawing studios. How am I going to set it up? Are the people going to be annoyed by the sound? But I really wanted to do it because Mm -hmm. in my mind, the sewing machine is really just a pen. Mm -hmm. It's just another form of a pen if you drop your feed dogs and go free motion. So my friend Thomas was totally okay with that. I reminded him about the noise and he said he didn't care. And so it was an eight week event. And each week I would bring my sewing machine and set it up in the art studio room. It was a little, it was a little wonky because like there was oil paint on things and I didn't really know what to expect. I brought fabric that I had shown a grid of a stabilizer onto. I was thinking maybe the grid would help me to figure out space and how to place the figure in space on fabric. And so the drawing for Repose came from that period of time. Interestingly, it did come from a pencil drawing. I had that day gotten a little bored of or overwhelmed with using my sewing machine. And so I just took out a piece of paper and drew that figure. And it was really good. The drawing was really good. Mm. Like not every drawing is good. There are a lot of bad drawings. There's a lot of bad art that you make in a lifetime. (laughs) But that particular drawing was a really good one. And so my journals, I have always used journals as a means to propel myself into future effort Mm -hmm. in the artistic realm. And so that drawing kept on speaking to me. And pretty much asked me to continue to use it and evaluate and grow with it. So I had a really nice studio, a large studio at that time. And I was working whole cloth in two layers. So I was using both cotton broadcloth and silk organza. And that piece came together. It was kind of interesting. I print the layers separately of one another and then layer them on top. That provides me the opportunity to do some collage elements. So Mm -hmm. you can really like build the image up and create a depth of color, intensity, and shadow, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. I created that piece and entered it into Quilt National and got in. It is the first time I had entered Quilt National and Getting in was just amazing. <laughs> you know, Exciting. like it's like a goal. So I went to the opening 
which is very exciting. And that is where I met Pokey Bolton. Pokey asked me to sit down with her and have a discussion. And that's when she asked if I might be interested in writing a book. Oh, that's so great. It was very exciting. And I was like, I yeah. don't know how to write a book, but I'm interested. Like, <laughs> like yeah, I've never written so a book. Exciting. And it was kind of great because she was like, you don't necessarily need to know how to write a book. We can help you yeah. create an outline. We can work with you. And she did all of that, which was fantastic. Oh, that's exciting. It was very And she was well on her way with Quilting Arts TV and Quilting Arts Magazine by then. And so that's really exciting. We are going to dive deep into your book in a little bit. But for over a decade, you have been a cancer advocacy champion for flat closure, which is an Mm -hmm. option for women with breast cancer to choose not to have breast reconstruction or to have a type of breast reconstruction that works for them. Now, you're a founding member of the nonprofit Flat Closure Now. Can you share your advocacy work with that organization? It's such an important message. So I want to I want to hear a little bit about that. Yeah. I was diagnosed with cancer almost 11 years ago, breast cancer. And I went into this situation not really knowing or understanding what my options were. I knew prior to my breast cancer experience that augmentation did not feel right to me as a person. Mm -hmm. That is not to equate the breast cancer experience with augmentation. Those two events are very different. So I didn't know. And I went to my doctor's appointment with an open mind. Mm -hmm. I had felt that perhaps my breasts were too large, that maybe this was an opportunity to reduce the size of my breasts and to reconstruct. Mm -hmm. But I did not like the appointment. I did not feel good about the options that were presented to me. And I didn't know what to do. So I went home that night and I looked up breast cancer with no reconstruction. Mm -hmm. And I was lucky to find one photograph of a woman from Virginia on a beach with her two children, topless, throwing rocks into the beach, into the ocean. I was so glad to have found that picture. Her body looked like mine. I could imagine myself with this outcome. Mm -hmm. I felt a sense of relief. Like I didn't feel comfortable putting implants into my body and I didn't want to move fat or tissue. So I went ahead with it. And I learned that I was lucky to get the results that I have. I started looking for support in the online community, the online breast cancer community for, you know, like, how do I proceed? Like, I have a changed body and I don't know how to dress. I don't know how to present myself. Do I need to wear prosthetics? Do I need to present as if I still have breath? I didn't have any of those answers. And it was really hard to find others who could answer me, who could respond. And I really dug deep to find images of people that looked like me, but I couldn't really find it. And some of the people that I encountered in my support groups came to me and said, I asked for flat, but I got skin-sparing mastectomy, which is a step along the path to breast mound reconstruction. 
So it's almost like they're taking the decision away from them and saying, we know you want to be flat chested, but we're just going to leave this skin here just in case you change your mind. Is that what the point is there? So there's a, there's a sense of paternalism in the medical yeah. community that is spilling over and overriding the consent of the patients asking for wow. a, a flat closure. This is such important work. And so I'd love to sort of ease back into the conversation about art and ask mm-hmm. you, how did your diagnosis and your journey through that process affect your art? How did your art change it over time? <laughs> It changed a lot. For one, I am so grateful to have had the opportunity to grow a social media presence based on my art that was predominantly female oriented. Mm-hmm. You know, when I saw this lack in the world at large, I was like, I have this small presence, I can use this and I can make a difference. Yeah. And at the same time, it totally changed the way I thought about bodies. Mm-hmm. I used the female repose, the repose image. I recreated it to be both single-breasted and non-breasted, no breasts. Mm-hmm. That was a very interesting thing for me to do because, you know, we as artists often work in series, mm-hmm. you know, and so if if my perspective changes, so then does the art. Yeah. So it was a very interesting thing to engage in because not all people, not all women have breath. Right. And having that reflected back at you in a piece of artwork, if that is your experience, is a soothing and healing event. And not all women who have breasts have actually seen or imagined what it would be like to not have that and that it's okay. It doesn't have to be a scary, different, negative thing. It can be, yes, I'm okay. And this is right. This is the way I want to be. So I really love that message. It's so important. And so through your art, I see all these, it's incredible. Your visual art is, is so important to the world. But I also see recurring themes in your art beyond the human form to animal form, especially birds. Are they just a perfect subject to study or is there a deeper meaning into the birds? Just saying the words brings me so much joy because I love your book that I originally had and, Uh and I've just seen it throughout so much. When I look at just one of them, you give the reader or the viewer so much permission to play because you not only see a beautiful bird, it's a form that's actually a bird, but you also see there may have been stamping or dyeing or different types of stitching that you just don't normally see in a quilt. So it gives the viewer permission to play. So what's the meaning in the form and the animal form that you're using? When I first wrote Inspired to Quilt, Pokey and her team came to me and said, we know that you do a lot of nudes, mm-hmm. but we want to get this book into mainstream craft and art stores. Yeah. So it would be good. I mean, perhaps you can do a nude or two, but it would be good if they weren't all nudes. Yeah, you could do naked animals, right? <laughs> So pretty much I, I was like, okay, well, I love birds. I am an armchair birder. I love reading about birds. When I go out in nature and I see a bird, I like to come home and take my books out and look up the bird to see what I actually experience. Yeah. So 
birds became a thing for me. At the same time, chairs became a thing. Because yes, I did chairs, a whole chairs hold people. So they became a substitute for the human form. Like you don't really walk into a room with a chair without a human to experience it. You know, you sit mm-hmm. in the chair. So yeah. yeah, chairs and birds became a thing after the writing of my first book. That's fascinating. And I would love to know what is your favorite part of the creative process? Is it the sketch? Is it the whole flow from sketch to stitch? What's the favorite part of the creative process? I'm a process person. So I like being in the middle of it. Mm-hmm. I like how long it takes. I don't mind if it takes a long time. And so like, I think that I often stall out at the very last, like when mm-hmm. I need to stitch a binding on, because I'm yeah. over it at that point. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I don't want to, the binding is my worst. I don't like binding. <laughs> you can find people to do that. <laughs> <laughs> I do bind them. I am really good at making myself finish a thing. But yeah. Oh, that's good. So you had a full day to just dive in and create, regardless of what projects are going on in your studio, if you just had a full day of freedom, what would you pull from your shelf first? Would it be, would you start sketching or would you jump headfirst into dyeing and stamping fabric or doing something like that? What would be your absolute go-to thing? I think my creative process is kind of cyclical. Right now, I love printing fabric. I just love it. But I have 12 quilt tops that need quilting. (laughs) (laughs) And for a long time, it was okay for me to print the cloth, cut the cloth, sew the cloth, put the top away. (laughs) Mm-hmm. <laughs> but this year that's not okay anymore because I can't just keep doing that so mm-hmm. this year I have really been focusing I just got a new sewing machine with all the, the feet <laughs> all the bells and whistles all the bells and whistles and when I was doing more art quilting freedom is the word of the day. Like if you want really big stitches on your art quilt, you can have really big stitches on your art quilt. But now that I'm into more traditional style quilts, I don't have that same freedom. And I want to sort of fit and direct myself into acceptable practices for the art form that I'm engaging in. So right now, the answer to that question is, I really like machine quilting. (laughs) I would get some done, right? (laughs) I am going to finish some things. And I guess I want them to be competitive to other traditional quilters. So I'm really investing in patterning and, and the machine quilting aspect of it. Awesome. Okay. So let's tell everybody, where are you in the world? Where do you live? I live in New Haven, Connecticut now. And have you ever had like another career or vocation besides art or did you go straight? Like you mentioned 10 years you went into art school, but have you had another vocation and had to switch over to being a full-time artist or? No, I have always done art things. For a while, I restored vintage poster art mm-hmm. and I, I have done so many things. I have been a cutter, uh, a fashion fabric clothing cutter. 
I've been mm-hmm. a sewing machine operator for a furniture manufacturer. So many jobs that I've taken. Weird jobs. I've been an arts and crafts specialist for 11 to 14 year olds. That was oh, a very challenging funny. job. That was unlike <laughs> teaching adults. <laughs> uh, yeah, interesting. Kids are hard sometimes, hey? Yeah. Okay, so let's go back to sort of the idea, like when Pokey Bolton first discovered you. Was there a milestone like that in your life or a moment where you thought, okay, this is what I love. I can do this for a living. Was there a time when you really kind of shifted and thought, yes, this is working for me? I don't know about that. I don't know. I think think maybe that was the moment. I didn't go into quote national thinking anything would come out of it. And learning that people were interested in the techniques that I use was quite exciting. (laughs) You know, like I had not really had that before. So I think that was the moment. Yeah. Now I have your first book, which is Inspired to Quilt. And I've referred back to it again and again, because it covers everything from foundation to techniques and inspiration, all the way to ending with this notion that anything's possible. It made me feel like I could be an artist when I wasn't an artist at the time or didn't feel I was. And it even encouraged me at the end to create a series, which I did. Mm -hmm. And so what's the story behind the creation of that first book? You met Pokey Bolton and she just encouraged you to get what you're doing in this amazing way into a form that other people could learn from. It was a very interesting thing to figure out how to break it down. Like, I understand how to create a map or a plan. And just to look at my art, I don't think it's just transparent. So really stepping back and figuring out how to plot a design and breaking it down into a minimal number of steps in order to get mm-hmm. there. Yeah. You know, breaking it down is really important because I think like a lot of them, like one time I went on to I went to a job interview and they had asked me to bring samples, like a step out sample. When you write a book, you're asked yeah. to make step outs. So this is mm-hmm. the first step. The second yeah. step is a totally separate piece of artwork. The third step is a third separate piece of artwork. So that's a step up. And so in this interview, I went and I brought all of my step outs. What I didn't do was bring my mistakes because I Uh did create them in making the Mm -hmm. step out. You must show your mistakes. You must. Because that's the entry point. That's Mm -hmm. where the reader is going to say, oh, I did this and this, but I got that and I'm not so happy with this. So it is very important to show, like in my second book, Dreaming from the Journal page, Mm -hmm. there is one set of step outs that I did. And oh, my God, I think I must have created it 15 different times. Oh, right. And it looks so simple in the picture. It's not necessarily simple. But I think for me, when I get to that point, and I understand when, like, I've taught nationally, I understand when the student gets to that point, it can just be like, oh, I just can't stand this anymore. Like, (laughs) 
Yeah, absolutely. So, so the thing I think too is don't take your art very seriously. <laughs> you know, like you're going to mess up and that's mm-hmm. okay. And you don't need to keep your mess ups. Like my teachers in school would be like, keep everything. And you'll look back on it someday. And I'm like, no, you don't have to keep everything. You can paint over it. You can sew over it. You can cut it up again. There's no like, (laughs) just know that you're going to mess up and don't get too involved with how that feels. Yeah. So how did it feel the first time you held a copy of book number one in your hands? That was amazing. (laughs) That was just amazing. (laughs) I didn't expect it of myself. So Mm -hmm. to have that and to flip through the pages, it was a blessing. It was just a blessing. And Pokey Bolton doesn't do anything halfway. This book is absolutely gorgeous. It's like almost like she dove into your mind and just poured everything into the book. It's it's so beautiful. So let's move in. You mentioned dreaming from the journal page. So let's move into book number two. Mm -hmm. So what's this book all about? Is it more about journaling that will become art quilting? It's more about journaling to further your artistic process. It's not specific to quilting. So I have used artist journals for many years. Mm -hmm. And it was a practice born from the Fashion Institute of Technology, where we were graded on our journals. It was part of the curriculum. You must keep an artist journal. And I really find it to be a fantastic thing because it's a backlog of your experience. It can be taken out. You can plumb the imagery, create new imagery. You can use just a portion. You can recreate an entire page or it might just be notes like I think it's really important to take notes as your machine quilting this thread worked this needle wasn't so good with this project like just take notes about where you are and what is occurring for you and even if you never look back on it it still serves a purpose it cements it in your mind Mm -hmm. so luckily for me like I have years and years of images and when I feel creatively dead you know like things Mm -hmm. aren't happening I would like more creativity but I feel a little low I will just go back into those journals page through them remember and sometimes it creates new and different pieces of artwork which is so great my goal which is my hope yeah and it helps other people as well, obviously. So, and I, rem- I remember one time taking an art course. I went for a week long course at a local college. And I remember realizing that all these years I had been doodling and journaling and writing down my ideas on all these separate pieces of paper. And in that course for a week, we had to journal and it kind of changed everything for me because now everything was in one location and I can literally pull something from a shelf. So I really love the idea of journaling as a creative process and something that can really help you move ahead with your creativity. So let's look at book number three, your third book. They're not labeled books number one, two, and three, but yeah. it is your third book, yeah. Playful Fabric Printing. Um, and this is available in your Etsy shop. This looks like a good book for beginner cloth printers because it's the complete guide to creating beautiful and vibrant cloth using low-tech tools. Mm-hmm. So who's the co-author and how did that book come about? 
my co-author on that book is Carol Soderlund. Carol mm. is an amazing colorist, dye scientist. She's a scientist. <laughs> and having taken early on in my career as a textile artist and after going to FIT, I took her one week long course in creating a book of a thousand repeatable colors. Wow. So the book helps you to mix very specific color. Like you can open the book, point to a yeah. color and know exactly how to create that in your own work. That wow. was like, yeah. So my entire goal, my like, I really wanted to figure out in working with FIT and going to the Fashion Institute of Technology, I just got it in my head that I could figure out how to print in repeat in a home studio. Mm-hmm. So my home studio, my print space, the area that I use to print fabric is two feet by four feet. I was on this path to figuring this out. I had taken, it was kind of interesting. I had taken a class in woodblock printing okay. in New York City. And we had these eight by 11 pieces of wood. And the first mm-hmm. thing that we did was in the lower left corner, like maybe a half an inch in, we made an L-shaped space carved it and the paper just nestled right into that little corner. So each time you go to print a thing, the piece of paper would nestle in that corner. And that was like a light bulb moment to me. That was almost like a registration mark. Yeah. So after I took that class, it just kind of sunk in, you know, like you can make a square repeat you can use the outside corners of the square as the registration mark. Mm-hmm. In order to do multicolor printing, everything needs to be the same size. So I found out six inches was the perfect size. Like the rubber that I cut comes in multiples of six inches. Yeah. The fun foam, I can cut it down to six inches. Yeah. I have a Thermofax screen machine, which isn't, old technology, it's an IBM old technology that helps people print almost like pre-Xerox machine. Six inches fits really nicely on the inside of that device, on the screen burning device. So six inches was it. And my fabricating device fit two pieces of cloth side by side. So all of a sudden I understood how to print in repeat using easily accessible tools. So my Thermofax yeah. screen, that's that's the hardest. Like there are mm-hmm. services and I do burn screens for people when requested. There are services, yeah. but I fortunately was able to purchase one of those for myself. Fun foam, carving rubber, and stencil. Mm-hmm. Stencil plastic yeah. is easy to find in the art store. So I was really like all of this was coming together and I thought to myself, oh well I need to ask Carol if she's interested in writing a book with me because her dyeing techniques are what I am using. And, you know, like I can't take credit for that. So I asked and she said, yes. So when you're doing all the printing, just a quick question before you move on, when you're doing all that printing, are you using like gel dyes or? (laughs) 
<laughs> no, we used thickened dyes. Okay, so thickened. when we use either ProChemical and dye, which is on the East Coast, or Dharma Trading to purchase dye powders. And Carol, <laughs> Carol figured out that the thickener that we use is seaweed-based. Okay. Carol figured out that if you put the dye powder directly into the thickener, that thickened dye lasts for a very long time. Air can't get into it. So it doesn't degrade as quickly as dye that you put into water to do low or high water immersion technique. So she figured out we used a color triangle of 28 colors that she gradated into four different values. So that's 112 colors that you can recreate specifically out of the book, Playful Fabric Printing. Wow, that's so great. And how did the collaboration unfold? Did you have to get together for a week and do things together or did you do things at a distance? How did you work on the book? We did things at a distance. So a neighbor lifted their thing and I don't know, put an item out and I don't know (laughs) what they did, but it was a very interesting thing to experience. So we wrote that mostly by using Zoom or not Zoom at the time. I'm sorry, FaceTime. Okay. So we would get up in the morning and we would talk to each other. This is what we want to do. And we each contributed different things to the book. You know, like I I was mostly figuring out the multicolor printing in repeat. There Mm -hmm. were other things that she contributed. You know, like we just all of a sudden it was like, what can we put in there? Like, (laughs) what information do we want to present here? Mm -hmm. So mono printing relief printing, lots of different things got in there. And it was interesting. We figured out how to break down creating a series of prints, a collection Mm -hmm. like they do in commercial fabric. You know, when you go into the store and you buy, oftentimes quilters will buy a complete line because all of Mm -hmm. those fabrics, they match each other. The colors might look the same. The designer will also create single color prints that help to fluff up and give you difference. Yeah, different dimensions in your quilt. We were really able to dig deeply into how to go about doing that. Yeah, that sounds so good. It sounds like such a fun collaborative process. So those were the three books that you were involved in. And we're going to get into another thing that you're giving away as a giveaway this week. So we'll talk a little bit more about your, is it zines or zines? How do I pronounce that? Zines? Zines. You have two lines of fabric. So what are your lines of fabric called? And what was the inspiration behind each of those? My first line of fabric was through Wyndham Fabric. And that was really a celebration of everything I had learned while writing Playful Fabric Printing. Meadowlark is my first line of fabrics that was put out by Wyndham Fabric. So that was a celebration of everything I had learned while creating the book, Playful Fabric Printing. Oh, that's great. And I'm curious because there's so many different ways to design fabric. Some people do manual drawing. Some people design on a computer. But I'm guessing that you might be the kind of textile designer that does printing on fabric to design the fabric. Am I right about that? Or is that, you is that are, a good guess? You are. <laughs> I would think that probably printing on fabric is not something the average textile designer will do. 
Textile design is often done for fashion fabrics using watercolor technique on paper or within the computer. For furniture and home deck, that's often done in gouache on paper or in the computer. More often than not these days, it's done in the computer. Or if it's done on paper, it gets scanned into the computer and cleaned and presented to the printer. I presented fabric swatches to them, which they then took and evaluated to make sure that the colors and everything was right. Yeah, great. So what was the second line of fabric? The second line of fabric is through RJR Fabrics, and it's called Flora Bunda. Mm -hmm. And it's much more focused than my first line. So there is a main floral design and then supportive smaller floral designs and single color print in that one. They're beautiful. And if you want to see those today, the fabrics that we're talking about, you can go to Melanie's website and just click on portfolio and both lines of fabric are there. So your website is melanietested.com. What kind of inspiration will quilters see on your website? What kind of things do you have on there? I have a gallery of my textile design. I have galleries of my quilt art, my journaling, and soy wax resist techniques, which is my most popular class when I teach across the country. So I also... Sounds like it would be such a fun class. (laughs) It is. Soy wax is a great technique. It's very user-friendly. It's very home studio-friendly. So, yeah. Okay, that sounds good. So we're going to take a quick break for our sponsors. And when we come back, we're going to talk about some favorite projects, some quilt travels, and what Melly is up to next. We'll be right back. Northcott Fabrics are famous to quilters for their Stonehenge and O Canada collections. Right here on this podcast, we give away fabric from Northcott Collections, Banyan Boutiques, and Figo Fabrics. Look for all of these at your local quilt shop. Northcott, cottons that feel like silk. And if you head on over to my YouTube channel to watch the trailer, you'll see what I'm wearing. Sass Boutique is dressing me in style for the podcast trailers. This super comfy jacket and plover pullover from Australia is made with the finest materials. This sweater is so soft and comfortable. Sass Boutique has stores in Summerland and Penticton, BC. And you can pick up the phone and call 250-494-1677 to order any of the clothing you see me wearing on this show. Sass Boutique, an excellent selection of contemporary and classic women's boutique style clothing. So we are back and I want to ask you, Melly, what have been, you know, your favorite projects or collaborations? I know you did that incredible book, but can you share some of your quilting career highlights that really meant a lot to you? I love writing magazine articles. I've written quite a few of them. I've also gotten on to quilting arts TV. And my highlights in the realm of art making are often like meeting people at market. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like I love what I do. So my most favorite projects are always the one that I'm doing right now. <laughs> makes a lot of sense because you're in the now, you're having fun. Really makes sense. So tell us a little bit about that experience going on to Quilting Arts TV. It must have been just such a, you know, how did it come about that? It was it after the book that you did your first book or? Yes. As a promotional aspect of writing the book, I was 
asked onto Coping Arts TV two different times. Oh, and fun. I met fantastic people like Judy Coates Perez and Lyric yeah. Kennard. I forget who else. Just being on TV, like who would have thought? Mm-hmm. <laughs> who would have thought? And then meeting these people that I think of as aspirational, like Judy Coates Perez, her work is just amazing. Just amazing. Yeah. She doesn't think like I do. Her artwork yeah. is incredible. And to be surrounded by people as passionate as myself and to do a thing that goes out into the world is, mm-hmm. it's just magic. It's just magic. You know, and I never yeah. expected any of that for myself. So to also be introduced to <laughs> lots of Pokey's friends. Yeah. Like, I, yeah. <laughs> so what was that? I'd love to get just like a day in the life of someone being on a TV show. So what was it like when you showed up there? Did they, they sort of, they put you up somewhere, obviously, did they walk you through what the process is going to be like and hold your hand to get you on screen and doing things properly? Did you get freaked out or was it calm? Oh, it was totally what was it freaky. like? It was totally <laughs> freaky. You know, and the other thing about it is like when I, (laughs) so when I taped my quilting arts workshop DVD, so they film the TV spots first and then they go on to film workshop DVDs. So the workshop DVDs last for half an hour to an hour, somewhere in between that time. And again, you step everything out as if you were writing an article or a book so that you can say, okay, put this aside and take the next one that looks more progressed and add something to that. And (laughs) so a lot of filming and being on television is about waiting. It's one of those (laughs) hurry up and wait situations. (laughs) So at first you're in the green room. And you sit and you wait and they often have drinks or little snacks that you can eat. You can often meet people like I met the people who care for Bernina machines, Jeannie. I met Jeannie who who cares for the Bernina machines. I met Judy back there. I met Lyric back there. Mm -hmm. And in that space, you can just quietly talk and, and do your thing. When they're ready for you, they bring you into the taping room. So that's mm-hmm. often a room that they keep a little cool because there's a lot of lights and cameras and like things that need to move around. I do have to say they put makeup on you <laughs> before before the event. So you might be hanging out. That would out. be good for me because right. every time I put makeup on, it seems to look like I have a black eye for some reason. <laughs> But that would be a great thing. I don't know how to wear makeup. I don't know how to put makeup on. None of that. So like, (laughs) if you're going to do makeup, great. I'm right there for you, but you do it. So that was a little strange. Like, I don't wear makeup, so I don't know really how to feel in makeup. (laughs) So uh, when you get into the taping room, that's when they give you your directive. They tell you, if you make a mistake, please continue Mm -hmm. on. It might just be that you apologize. Oh, that was a mistake. I I didn't mean to say that, but here it goes. When I did my DVD workshop, boy, did I make a mistake. (laughs) 
to do, really. <laughs> and they left it in there. They left it in like a blooper? <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing is, is, so to work with thick and dye, you need to sew to soak your fabric. Soda soaking your fabric, like when there is soda ash inside the fabric, you have to be very careful when you iron it because it can be flammable. Okay. (laughs) So what I wanted to say was soda soak the fabric. If you need to iron it to prepare to print on quickly, (laughs) iron and take the iron away. Do not place the iron down. It will scorch. Yeah. But instead, I said something like <laughs> a student had recently come to me and said that she had put her soda soap fabric in the dryer. Oh. And it ignited. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so I wanted to get it in there that you do not put soda soaked fabric in the dryer. And I went on to say on TV, it might ignite. which is problematic like you don't want to scare people away from doing the process (laughs) so I really wished that I had come with a more concise response there (laughs) so now when I look back at it I'm like oh no (laughs) it's like look at this beautiful creative process get excited but then you might start a fire so don't do it (laughs) you might burn your house down (laughs) (laughs) oh that's so funny so yes you do have to just continue on and yeah oh that's really cool well it sounds like a really fun experience so I'm so glad you got to experience that so I want to talk a little bit about your community driven mask project so how did your business shift over the pandemic that was very interesting I was on the path that I am now, trying to figure out how to machine quilt my quilts so that they look more in keeping with my contemporaries. But then the pandemic happened and I just started making masks. I didn't really know. I just like, at that point, I didn't even know who essential workers were. Like, what is an essential worker? I don't know. Like... (laughs) And when the pandemic first started, you know, of course, I was wearing a mask and I, I would go out onto the streets and, you know, like if I saw a mail worker, I was like, oh, that's a, an essential worker. If I saw a food distributor, like a person delivering food to a store, oh, a central yeah. worker, you know, like who's essential? And yeah. so I started making masks and sending them or giving them to people when one of my friends figured out that I could sew. And so she was like, oh, my God, you know, like, let's set you up to do this thing. If you, if you can do yeah. this thing, let's set you up to do it. And she created a GoFundMe. And I started trying to figure out, like, do I monetize this? Do I not monetize this? How do I get the fabric? What do I, like, I don't know. So it just kind of fell into being. Like, as a quilter, I know how to create a community-driven project. We quilters make baby quilts. We make quilts for people when their houses burn down or, you know, when something happens. So um, I did a call for it in my community. I need fabric. I need supplies. I set up an Amazon. I don't usually use Amazon, but I set up an Amazon wish list with all of the things that I could use for doing this. And then I figured out how to charge 
you know, so I really wanted to give masks away. Like I wanted yeah. to make sure that all of the essential workers around me were covered, mm-hmm. protected. So I created a two for one deal. You buy yourself a mask. I give a mask yeah. away to my community. Oh, and that's that a great was, idea. It was a fantastic experience because for one, when the pandemic first happened, I was like, this is a weird experience. We all like, it was traumatizing. But I told myself, Melanie, you must continue to go outside, you know, just because Mm -hmm. we are being asked to physically distance, you must maintain your exercise practice, you must keep going out into the community. And so what I started doing was with each order that I would put together and start shipping out, I would take that exact same amount of masks and just give them to people. And it was a great experience, I have to say. That's great. And so to this day, you can find those masks on your Etsy page. So so Melly's Etsy page is called Melly Testa, M-E-L-L-Y Testa. And it says, Melly makes Melly Marks Melly Masks. So what else can we find on your Etsy page? You can find some handprints. I have silk hankies with my fabric designs. You can find prints, paper-oriented prints, and some quilt art works. In addition to my book and my zines. Right. And we're going to talk about those right away. So thinking about your goals and intentions moving forward, do you have any big quilt project plans on the horizon? All of my, my quilt plans right now are to complete the quilt tops that I have been making incessantly for ever. <laughs> Unfortunately, I really like printing fabric more than I like quilting it. So I do have an excess. But sort of since the pandemic, I have stopped printing as much fabric. I got into the mask making and now I'm reclaiming that creative time that I had been sending that way to mm-hmm. machine quilt my quilts. Yeah, that's great. So your books are all about action and play. So how do you find something to continuously improve yourself? Like, what do you want to get better at right now? What, so you're working on the quilting. Is that the focus right now? You really want to get better on that? Do you continually give yourself things to improve yourself, every skill? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Uh, making part, art part. is a practice. Yeah. It's a practice. So you put in the time and you get out experience. I do love to ask though, this is kind of interesting. I do love to ask all my guests a couple questions that I'm going to ask right away. But the first one is what kind of fabrics do you love to work with the most? And I'm guessing that it might be white fabric. <laughs> is that right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I buy 50 meters of, of cloth at a time, of white cloth at a time. Yeah. So when I go into cloth making, like the pieces that you see behind me, are based on the theme of unicorns. Okay. So I went onto my social media and I asked people, when you think of unicorns, what do you think of? And their responses were very interesting. (laughs) I bet. It's a great idea. (laughs) So this particular, this quote design has to do with feathers. So I think you can see feathers here. I didn't know this, but unicorns can have feathers 
on their butts. (laughs) (laughs) And they're often aurora borealis in color. They shift. Interesting. Right? So some of the answers that I got were feathers, gumballs, saucer of ice cream. It went on and on. And I was like, I didn't know any of these things had anything to do with unicorns. <laughs> That's kind of like cool. How are, how are gumballs related to unicorns? Oh, and pinking shears. Oh. Like when That's you go into a forest of known unicorn habitation, <laughs> you should bring a pair of pinking shears. Why? <laughs> I don't know. Oh, I absolutely love how you brought your followers into your creative process. So you have pinking shears and that's so great. So I have pinking shears, like, and, (laughs) and they go with the feathers. I don't know how you're supposed to use it. So there aren't very many. They didn't say if you should bring more than one. (laughs) They just said pinking shears. So I was like, okay, pinking shears. (laughs) Okay. That's pretty cute. So I love to ask this one question of all of my creative friends that I have on the podcast. So what brings you the most joy? Dance walking. (laughs) Dance walking clears my mind. Dance walking is my favorite thing. It brings me so much joy. So dance walking is I put my headphones in, I go outside And I begin to dance walk. So dance walking often looks like skipping, lunging, punching. It's very cardio oriented. And it's a little freaky because like not very many people do it. So I did actually, you know, like I was walking down the street the other day and I saw a person. She must have been like she was my people. She was walking down the street using a hula hoop. Like she was just walking down the street. Oh, that's great. And I was like, oh my God, these are my people. So I oh, do, I great. stir up joy and I cleanse my brain with oxygen by dance walking. Oh, that's great. That's really good. Okay. So now before we start to wrap things up, Millie, I have something special I like to do with all my guests. It's a series of rapid fire questions called the lightning round Robin. Are you ready? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Who is a quilter that you would love to meet one day? One person I would like to meet is Kerr Grabowski, who created a a technique called deconstructed screen printing. Okay. And what is on your design wall right now? I can see it behind you. A drunkard's path using hand-printed cloth. Okay. And who has been an inspiration to you on your journey? Well, Carol Soderlund. Like, I wouldn't I wouldn't be doing any of this had I not taken a class, a workshop by Carol Soderlund and Pokey Bolton. Okay. And what color do you choose most when creating something? Purple. Purple. And what do you listen to while you're creating? Well, I really like podcasts and I really like dance music, house, Mm -hmm. hip hop. And I already know the answer to this one because we heard a little earlier, but do you have any furry little friends in your studio? Yes, I have Peach. Peach, aw. <laughs> she's our tiny little cat. She's a tiny aww. little thing and she really likes the sunlight. 
Oh, we heard her meowing a little earlier and you had to let her go into the other room, right? Mm-hmm. So we've mentioned your website, www.melanietesta.com, where we can go to check out everything you do. And you can go to Melly's Etsy page there as well. Just click on the shop tab and you'll get there. So Melly, where's the best place for people to connect with or follow you online? My Instagram page is okay. at Melly Testa. And if you're interested in my breast cancer or advocacy page, that is flyest underscore flatty. Okay. Flyest underscore flatty. Okay. Great. So this week's podcast giveaway is awesome. So Melly is giving away something kind of cool. It's three zines called the Motif Maker Zine. So Melly, can you describe what these are? A zine is oftentimes a... It's a 16-page booklet, oftentimes printed by an individual. So it's a little freer than a magazine or a published book. So these are self-published 16-page booklets that discuss how to go about creating your own motifs in textile design. So these three books follow my journey in making the unicorn prints that you see behind me here. Oh, that is such a generous prize. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to give that away to one lucky winner. So with the prizes, you can always enter by looking at the YouTube channel description. In there, you'll see the link to go click on the prize giveaway and it's open for five days and we give it away every Sunday. We give the prize away. So make sure you go and enter that. As we wrap up today, Melly, what do you want quilters to take away most from our conversation? Don't give up. Keep practicing and be really nice to yourself when you make mistakes, but keep going. Yeah, that is such a good message. We can see through your story that you're such a process-driven person and the success is there. We can see the result from all that work that you've done. So Melanie Testa, it has been so nice to hear your story today. Thank you so much for being on this show. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. It's been so fun. This has kind of been a dream for me. I'll just honestly tell you, I've been following you and pouring through your books forever. So I'm excited to have had you. And that was my interview with Melanie Testa, a breast cancer survivor who has taken personal tragedy and fought, survived and thrived and is becoming a strong, beautiful advocate for women and a quilt maker textile designer and artist who has created books that fill the reader's toolbox with new skills and toss them into a world of creative play. You can check out everything Melly has to offer at melanietesta.com. Now, are you loving this podcast? Take a moment right now to think of a friend who might love it too. I would be so thrilled if you would share this podcast or write a review on your podcast app. The kindest thing you can do to support a creator is to introduce them to your friends. Thank you for listening to the Quilter on Fire podcast. Until next time, dream big and have fun in the studio with the Quilter on Fire.